welcome to another exciting and jam-packed episode of Modern Day Philosophers. I'm your host. I'm Danny Lobel. I'm in Los Angeles. It's very hot. I'm getting married in a few weeks. I'm under a lot of stress. But the episode is here, and it's a good one. Uh, some of the episodes, as you know, focus more on comedy, and some of them are more on philosophy. If you're one of the people who is looking for one of the more heavy philosophy ones, today is your day, because we focus a lot more on the philosopher today than on the comic, but the comic is fantastic, and it's Dave Anthony, and it's great, and I'm going to tell you more about that right after you take a listen to this word from our sponsor. Warning, stand-up records may cause intestinal distress, fits of insane laughter, instant diarrhea, existential malaise, headaches, nausea, dizziness, vomiting, seasonal affective disorder, more headaches, pneumomono ultramicroscopic silicovolcanoconiosis. Stand-up records should not be handled by women who are pregnant, may become pregnant, have ever been pregnant, or personally know anyone who has been pregnant. Do not consult your doctor if he's operating heavy machinery. Stand-up records is for external application only. And stand-up records is, of course, good for a few laughs. So remember that's standuprecords.com. For the world's finest comedy CDs, DVDs, and merchandise. That's standuprecords.com. The revolution will be hilarious. Stand-up records, the one and only stand-up records. They keep us going. They keep us afloat. Uh, and uh, lots of great comedy CDs, DVDs, and lots more merchandise. Go to standuprecords.com. Okay. Before I introduce uh, the man who's sitting here with me. Yes, there's somebody sitting here with me for the intro, which rarely and barely ever happens. So it's an exciting, an exciting intro. I want to take a quick moment to thank a listener, a man by the name of Nathan Wade, who made me a beautiful hand-carved wooden slingshot and it's hanging up here in my living room on the wall so I can grab it and use it at any time and it's beautiful it's just wonderful I'm so impressed by it and I'm very very grateful so thank you so much for doing that Nathan and uh, he tried to send me one the first time and it never made it to me and he actually went and did a second one and uh, I was so upset that the first one never got here and I was thinking oh man there's no way he's gonna make me another one but he did and uh, thank God the second one arrived, and here it is, and it's beautiful. And what do you think of that slingshot? Special guest sitting in with me, Alex Fasella. That's a quality slingshot, <laughs> I think. It's beautiful. It's got nice wood grain and stuff, and I feel like it could actually hurt someone if we really wanted to. <laughs> Isn't that cool? Yeah. You have, a, you have a beautiful artisanal weapon right now. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> That's a great way to put it. Alex Fosella, if you don't know him, then uh, you're new to the show. He's the man who is behind the scenes. He's the Wizard of Oz. He's, I, he's pay the, no attention to the man behind the curtain. That's the man behind I, the curtain. I issue the picks, challenge and then disappear, that's as right. Matt Kirshen said. In the very first episode. Available on connectpal.com slash modern day philosophers. Subscribe, because I put up videos analyzing all the episodes, so it sweetens the deal. Yeah, it's not bad. It's five bucks a month. You get the whole first season, and mm -hmm. you get to see Alex, the man sitting with me right yep, here. sitting in my old living room, and now in my new living room as I keep going. Who picks the philosophers? Yeah. <laughs> what, you're moving in here? Is that what you're no, Yeah, I'm going to move into your house next to your dog <laughs> in my new living room in Brooklyn. This but. is actually your first time visiting me here in L.A. Yeah, I've been. To, I went to L.A. when I was in high school, but was you know with my family and stuff this is my first time just going around by myself and i've never been to your i left you a voicemail outside i was like i think i'm in front of your house but i don't want to knock on a stranger's door help me and i heard you on the phone outside the window i'm like alex <laughs> so technically you got my message you just, i did yeah. you heard it being recorded yeah um but la's been awesome i just we're riding bikes and yeah we took a nice bike ride around yeah, the neighborhood and i got passed at flappers comedy club which All is right. a nice that's a good. It's uh, a big deal. Yeah, I'd never been past at a club before. I've done auditions like for the comic strip and stuff, but this was like, yeah, 
you in got the that seal of approval from yep. from an official comedy it club. It was quite nice. Nice. I'm proud of you, man. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. You're doing it. Yeah. And uh, you met the tortoise finally. You I met did. I get to the tortoise smelled me and kept walking. We had an understanding for a second. <laughs> I imagined him bigger, maybe just because I have the stereotypical tortoise in my head. But uh, and I was like, "What's the difference between a turtle and a tortoise?" You're like, "He'll die in water." I'm like, "Oh." <laughs> the mysteries of the universe, man. I didn't put it that morbidly. But <laughs> well, I was like, they're land animals. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny how you hear things. Yeah, I hear things a lot more dark than than you put them out. So but, uh, I also want to say a special thank you to uh, one of the listeners, a man by the name of Scott Schmidl. I believe I'm saying that correctly, um, and who sent a very nice uh, wedding gift. Uh, I've had a few people ask me uh, right in and say they wanted it, and I'm not telling anybody to do this, but uh, do it. <laughs> I have had some people say, "Hey, I want to know where you're registered and stuff, and send you something," and that's been really, really kind to people. Nice. And, and I've told everybody there's no necessity; don't feel obligated to get anything, but but get stuff. You that's, know, that's <laughs> a nice thing when you when you when you have enough listeners. They're like, "Hey, we want to buy you things. Tell us where we can buy you things." You're yeah, like, it's really. All nice. right. I mean, I'm I'm, I'm just like kind of. Like blown away by it, to be honest. It's yeah, like, uh, I'm flattered and uh, and thank you, Scott. Thanks for for sending. We got it. We got the very nice gift in the mail. Yeah, when you're putting a lot of work into a show, I think it's, sometimes it's easy to be too like blinders on the work, and then someone from around the country is like, "Hey, I'm gonna send you this thing." You're like, "Oh, somebody's listening to this and enjoying it." I forgot about that part. It's so weird. Forgot I about the nice part. Sit in front of a computer screen and editing for mm -hmm. like 20 hours, and then yeah, I'm like, yeah. "Oh yeah, this is for a reason." You know, I, yep. guess, I guess people do appreciate it. So that's cool. And you can always uh, write in to me and or Alex or yeah, both. I, I want to hear from you, too, because I, I, I would love to hear how, how you guys are receiving things. So so my email is thecomical at yahoo.com. And Alex is at Alexander.Fasella, F-O-S-S-E-L-L-A at Gmail. All right. And so my Twitter's at a Facella. And same, my, spelled the same. And my Twitter's at Daniel LaBelle. That's we, we should just keep going. And my LinkedIn's at... And my... <laughs> Nobody ever and, uh, plugs LinkedIn. And I like to buy paint at this hardware store next to me. It's, it's... I always want to hear, like, a rapper on, like, Hot 97, like, plug his LinkedIn page. <laughs> yo, yo, check me on my LinkedIn joint, all right? Because so... <laughs> I'm currently unemployed. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to add you as a contact. Um... Uh, you you also get to see the uh, the painting I got here. Oh, the, the, the Sydney Bechet. It's beautiful. So I'm not lying to people when I it say exists. it's almost done. Is it not almost done? It looks almost done. I don't quite know how many moles and creases he had in his face to judge how far from done it is, but it looks almost done to me. It's almost done. I know I should have had it done by now, and some of you donated to, to get a copy of it, and I owe you that, and I, I promise it's coming soon, but I'm a perfectionist with the artwork. And yeah. I just want to make sure when it's done, it's, I mean, a piece of artwork like a joke is never truly finished, yeah. but. I get OCD whenever I paint, where I like wake up in the middle of the night, like, I need to put an extra thing for his hair right here. Do you get like that? Or are you I get more? PTSD. <laughs> You'd finish a painting and you're just haunted by it. <laughs> no! <laughs> it's already sent! I can't fix the nose! Oh, help me! <laughs> when I paint, I get LSD. Yeah. <laughs> it makes numb, the paintings a lot more interesting. You have numb flashbacks to that bark park bench you've painted. <laughs> It was horrible, man. I only had a weird, dark kind of blue. It was supposed to be baby blue. Oh, God. Oh, man. They spit on me. <laughs> the great artists of all time will never understand. No. Work. I don't know.
okay, so coming up, Dave Anthony, anything you want to say? Do you remember? We did this one a little while ago. I remember he sent us a big list of trivia, and it was interesting because he's like, I have a really mathematical mind, so that's why I picked Leibniz because he was a math guy. Mm-hmm. But it was like, I don't believe in monogamy, but I think you should keep it up till it be friends afterwards. I'm thinking... You got a wife. I wonder how she feels about that. But maybe she's cool with it. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. But I liked um uh he wrote a handful of Marin episodes I thought were excellent. So I was really excited to have him on. Yeah. And um and it's funny because in the episode is I'm like, Oh, Alex says that you're a math uh, expert. He's like, No, I'm not. I'm like, I guess Alex got it wrong. Well, no, he he said he, he was a math whiz as a kid, like he was a prodigy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I, I was I said something like that. It was I funny because he was like it, it definitely it was definitely based on something he told you. Yeah, it was right? it was right there. That's hilarious. Yeah. Um all right, so that's about it. Anything else you want to plug before we go into the episode? Um, not really. I'm doing the webcomic My Racist Toaster, as we I've said a billion times to the point where it's a joke. Um, and uh, episode three is finally almost coming out because my it's guy. It's on episode three. It's on two, actually. Third, because well, we only shot three of them. We we had to, we got interrupted. But now it's a webcomic so that I can just do it. My my other buddy All dropped right. out, so now it's just me having a guy drum. And they're getting weird. They're getting real weird. <laughs> All right, I bet you. I bet they are. You gotta show yeah, me. Yeah, I'm gonna put those out. Start, the new ones. I'm gonna start putting those out. So once the episode three is done, I'm gonna start putting out the web comics. It's probably gonna be a limited run, but uh, yeah, you're gonna be a little uncomfortable reading these. <laughs> They're not even all that racist. It's just creepy the way they talk to each other. Oh boy! Yeah. All right, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> all right, enjoy the show, everybody. Here it is. Thanks for listening, Dave Anthony. Right after the intro song. Enjoy. And welcome to Modern Day Philosophers. Modern Day Philosophers. Having failed to pay attention in school, Danny Lobel, now older and wiser, will attempt to learn basic philosophy 101. Our young hero will be joined by today's top comedians, philosophers all their own. Ladies and gentlemen, here's Danny Lobel. Modern Day Philosophers. Feeling at home, feeling comfortable. Sorry, there's a fly going around here. You know what? I have flies in my house right now. It's fly season. Yeah, it's amazing that after all these years, there's still not a really effective way to get rid of flies in your house. I know. They. I don't. You just hang a fly strip. Is that the deal? I don't know. I don't know what to do. They go. They move too fast to kill them. There should be an app. <laughs> there should be an app. Why don't they have an app for that? There should be a get rid of your fly app. You just turn it on and the fly goes away. Yeah, such a simple little thing. But it's still such a big problem. It really is. I wish they'd do with flies what they're doing with the mosquitoes. What are they doing with the mosquitoes? So they're basically breeding them so that most of the mosquitoes um, are male, I think. Hmm. And so they're hopefully dying out. So the idea is that they're introducing a certain type of female in that when they breed, then they just turn all male and then... Hmm. There's too many males and they all start to die out. I believe that's the idea. That's real sneaky. And females are the only ones that suck on you. So <laughs> it's apparently working really well. Yeah. Yeah. Females well, are the know. only ones that suck on you. <laughs> <laughs> well, that came out interesting. <laughs> Man, that's a real sneaky thing to do to mosquitoes. It is. Like you have no idea. You're just hanging out. You're getting on with a lady mosquito, and little do you know, you're killing your race. She's like an undercover operative. She is. She's terrible. 
<laughs> she's the Manchurian Manchurian mosquito. Hey man, I hear she's working for the other side. <laughs> Not my lady. <laughs> no way. <laughs> These are real jazzy mosquitoes. For <laughs> yeah, for whatever reason. <laughs> Hey, what do you think of that mosquito over there, bub? <laughs> She's hot. <laughs> I wouldn't trust her, man. Uh-uh. Get away from that one. She's working with the feds. They're or trying to something. kill us off, man. You're Ma- crazy. That's a conspiracy. <laughs> Imagine if it was that way with people. Imagine if there were oh, women. I'm sure they've thought of it. <laughs> so someone's tried that somewhere. There's got to be. That's a way to kill off a whole race. and Yeah. And they don't even know it. They just put some really sexy women in, in yeah. everybody starts breeding with non breeding women. Yeah. And then it's or, all over. Yeah. That's, scary. A, that's a whole new way to kill out of people. It is. Maybe we shouldn't have thought of it. <laughs> <laughs> Dave Anthony in the studio in the Lobel House Productions studio, my upstairs. Yep. And we are Going to talk about a guy named Gottfried Wilhelm Liebritz. All right. I think I'm saying that right. I hope you are. Gottfried Wilhelm Liebritz. I've heard the name. The more I put an accent on it, the more correct it sounds. It sounds to me. super correct now. How about this? Gottfried Wilhelm Liebritz. No, it's a little threatening. <laughs> now I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> I'm scared. So, what Alex says you guys have in common is that you, Dave, were a math prodigy. Is that correct? No. Well, you got it wrong. (laughs) (laughs) I used to tutor math in college, but I wouldn't say I was a. I wouldn't say I was a prodigy. I guess he was just being generous. (laughs) (laughs) That's hilarious. And uh, and Liebritz was a mathematician. So you do have this math connection. We have this math connection where I was terrible at math until all of a sudden it just clicked. And then all of a sudden I understood it. What age was that? I was like, it was like, I was like a senior in high school okay. before I figured it out. And then when I went to college, I was like, oh, I get all this. And I was, you know, tutoring pre-calculus and stuff. Really? So was, yeah. just one day math made sense to you? Yeah. It was really, up until then, it was like a total nightmare. Has that happened to you in other parts of your life? I don't think so. I mean, it's like the only thing where it just kind of went, oh, I get it. You know what, actually, that happened with acting. How so? I I don't know. I was really bad at acting, and then all of a sudden, one day, I just went, oh, this is how you do it. Hmm. And then then I started getting cast and stuff. So things just click for you. I guess so. (laughs) I wish it happened with more stuff. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Everybody else in the world kind of, I think, we're like, well, if you suck at something, you're probably going to suck at it forever, but yeah. you can try, you can really work hard, and maybe you'll incrementally get better at it, Yeah. but you have this instant... <laughs> I don't know what happened instant there. Instant clarity. It's definitely had with math and acting. I don't know why. It's very strange. What do you think was the distinction between how you saw math before it clicked and then afterwards? Uh, I saw it as, I think that I saw it as, uh, as something that I was fighting against. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, like especially word problems and things like that. They just made me, they just infuriated me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then at one point I just went, Oh, this, Oh, okay. I like it just, it's like, it's like the anxiety and the frustration went away. And it was just like, Oh, mm-hmm. that's all, that all makes sense. 
So it was really not the math. You were fighting against yourself. Yes. So is that the same thing with the acting? Totally the same thing with the acting. Huh. Yeah. Maybe that's maybe that's the problem everyone has with everything. It might be. I mean, I think that with with a lot of stuff, it's internal. It's like, like your your whatever your process is or anxiety or whatever you're bringing to it. Mm-hmm. You know, people always said with acting. Before I realized it was, don't think about where this could lead. Yep. Just right, do yeah. it. You know what I mean? Just do it. Right. And uh, and so it took me a long time to to I think think about that. Like you go in for a role, especially a callback. You're like, oh my god, I could get this. It could be this thing. But mm-hmm. at the end of the day. You just walk in and do it and walk out. Right. I try to go into these auditions, not that it's been effective. I'm not booking anything, but I try to go in there and not put any pressure on myself at all. Just try yeah. and have fun. Yeah. I think that's exactly how you should do it. Just, yeah. You're just here to have fun. And these people just want to see what it looks like when you have fun. Yeah. So that's totally spot on. It hasn't been effective. <laughs> It will at some point. I mean, you, I think that's the mindset. So at some point it'll click. Yeah. I think. What other, what other challenges do you think you face in life that, that you wish you can have these, these moments of clarity with? Well, obviously parenting. That would be nice. Uh, How many kids do you have? I have one. Mm-hmm. That's a lot. How old? He's five. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. They're, uh, that sounds rough. Just that age. <laughs> it is. They're on. Yeah. He's yeah. They're, they're uh, very, uh, uh, well, he's, since he's an only kid, he's, he's super like you're, you're, instead of having a brother or sister that he can right. go play with, like, he's like, okay, so we're going to do something now. Right. And you're like, I don't, I don't, <laughs> I'm old. I had you late. <laughs> I don't know if that's the case. <laughs> well, what inspired you to have a kid? Was this a, was this a planned thing? Yeah, we planned on it. Um, you know, I have always felt like, uh, it's sort of like I, I it took me, it was a while before I got married, married. And so started having kids. Like I, I had a long single life. What age were you when you got married? Um, so I think I was 38. Yeah. 38 when I got married. Okay. Or maybe even 40. I think I was 40. Yeah. I was 40 when I got married. No, wait, when, how old is he? Okay. So 39. Yeah. Uh, so it, it, it felt, it felt like, well, I've done everything as a, as a, as this part, as this way you can live your life. Mm-hmm. Like I've, I've basically screwed around for years, not with women. I'm just saying screwed around for years. You right. Know right. I mean? And so it's like, well, it's kind of having a kid is kind of like the graduate program, you know, like, okay, let's see what this is like. There's nothing left to do. Otherwise there isn't a, other than that. I mean, I, I always think about it. It's like, well, I could be traveling more, but at the end of the day, like just your day to day life. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I've, 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 I felt like you're just doing the same thing over and over again. If when you hit a certain age and you haven't had kids. Is it rewarding having a kid? Yeah, for sure. What is what is the most rewarding part of it, and what's the toughest part? Uh, the toughest part, I would say, is definitely watching him, l- allowing him to struggle through stuff without getting involved. Like being like, okay, this is his journey, man. This is gonna be his thing, where he's gotta mm-hmm. he's gotta suffer through this and figure out what the deal is. Right. And the rewarding part is is seeing him be a good person. You know, act like a like a good kid and and treat people with respect and know that know that he is getting like I had a, I had really terrible parents so know that he is getting the opposite of that is like that's good. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. So it's just sort of correcting your own past through him. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Yeah, for sure. It's a way of writing the world that's wrong. Yeah, yeah, I would yeah. agree with that. Yeah. Huh. 
Do you think at any point do you ever get jealous of the fact that he's got better parents than you? Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wonder. Like, I think that a lot of the, a lot of the reasons that I sort of hit, hit my stride career-wise late in life was because my parents didn't set me up to succeed. You know, they mm-hmm. they set me up to just sort of stumble and figure it out slowly. So I know that he'll have the opposite, whereas he'll. He should be, unless he, you know, gets in his own way, but he should, he should have all the, the things that takes to succeed, the confidence and the understanding you go through frustration and mm-hmm. come out the other side and it works out or, you know, if you keep trying that kind of stuff. I never, no one ever told me that. So if I got into a frustration sort of period, I would just give up as opposed to like someone going, no, you keep trying and then mm-hmm. it works out. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I can relate to that. Yeah. I think a lot of people can. I think it was. I think it, that, that the generation we were raised by they didn't they didn't tell us that. Mm-hmm. Like you know, if you, you this this will be hard, and then you'll. I heard the opposite. I heard you're gonna fail just about <laughs> just about every day. <laughs> well, when I started doing comedy, my dad sat me down and his girlfriend at the time and talked and tried to talk me out of it and tried to tell me to work in a bank, and I was like, "What? This isn't." This still goes on for me. <laughs> And my dad has very low expectations for me, but for some reason, comedian's at the bottom. But he'd always call me up with these things. He goes, you know, I was thinking about it, Daniel, and um, there's a lot of good work out there at uh, doing security. And <laughs> this is true. No, <laughs> they got benefits. He didn't even want me to be a doctor or anything like that. He just, just... He was like, you know, I see my son more as a security guard like than... A- I see you as like a $10 an hour guy sitting in front of a strip mall. Yeah. And I call him up. I, 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 hey, how you doing? I'm okay. He goes, uh, how's work? I say, well, you know, I'm, I'm still struggling, but it's, it's coming along. Yeah. He goes, you know, Costco has excellent benefits. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, the funny thing is, is like, well, Costco is actually a decent job, but. But when my dad was trying to talk me into banks, like there, that is not a secure job. Like right. those, those are all jobs where people get fired all the time, and it's like almost no different than doing comedy at this but point. At least it's more prestigious than security guard. <laughs> it's a little more prestigious than a security guard. Yeah, I yeah. Think my dad really had lower expectations <laughs> for me than comedian. He's like, yeah, I don't think he can make it as a comedian. I see him more as a security guard. Yeah, I, I see him as like a sit around guy, like a guy who's sitting around <laughs> looking at things. Yeah. <laughs> He never said, you know, why don't you try and become a doctor? <laughs> nothing, <laughs> nothing like that. He wasn't even going to well, mess with that. Yeah, shoot low. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Shoot very, very low. I see you as just a human space filler. Yeah, you're like a like a chair, like a human chair that's just there uh, to warn people away. <laughs> you can breathe, right? Yeah, you can breathe. You can stand, right? <laughs> Sit. You can do those things. Uh, security guard. <laughs> yeah. So, you feel if your parents would have instilled more confidence in you, you would have had an easier, an easier ascent to success? Well, it's interesting. So, if my parents were better parents, I might not be a stand-up, right? Right. So, it's sort of a catch-22. Like, I would rather that they were better parents, but then mm-hmm. I might not be living the life I'm living, which I like. Right. So, but they definitely did not instill me within any sort of belief in myself. 
I've always wondered what is the exact amount of times a kid needs to be beaten up. <laughs> I know. To become a successful stand-up comedian. Like right. one too many hits and you're not successful. Yeah. Not enough hits and you do something better. Yeah. But there's a certain amount of times when they hit you and, and you say... I'm going to become a comedian, yeah. but I've still got, <laughs> still got some confidence and I'm still ready to, <laughs> I know. Like it's how many really, times was Steve Martin hit as a kid? It's, <laughs> in, it's insane, but yeah, there's, there's gotta be some formula, the math formula. Just exactly right. Yeah. See, like I think Billy Crystal from, I don't know him, but just from hearing his show, 700 Sundays and reading mm. his book. I think he might have had the optimal conditions to become a successful stand-up comedian because it seemed like he had supportive parents, yeah, a stable home, but his father passed away at a young age. Oh, that's a very common one with that. Uh, no, no father. A lot of pain, but a lot of love. Yeah. So maybe that's exactly yeah the right combo. Yeah, at could, a young age, could yeah. totally be true. Yeah. Now, do you think were, were your parents? parents your grandparents were they good parents no uh not good people both alcoholics my, on my mother's side the grandfather would always my grandfather would always say how much he didn't like kids around all the kids <laughs> <laughs> that's never good it's for a good th- thing you had three yeah uh and then my grandmother was just mean like i stopped talking to her when i was about 12 she was just a mean person so do you think by breaking the cycle your kid has more of a chance of being a good parent himself or do you think he'll rebel against good parenting and become a bad parent? I don't know. That's a good question. He seems he seems to be really uh, sensitive and, a, and and care about people. So you would hope that would lead to being a good parent. Mm-hmm. Although who knows if he'll even have kids? Right. That's a good point too. You know? Yeah. I'm yeah. not I'm not hopeful of the future as far as like the environment and all that stuff. I think we'll see a drastic reduction in people wanting to have children (laughs) (laughs) you brought your kid into a dying planet yeah basically (laughs) and this is just for you son (laughs) there you go it's on fire (laughs) (laughs) the ice caps are melting enjoy the last few years i'm out of here (laughs) yeah yeah it would be interesting to get to that point where people having kids just means they're doomed yeah yeah i mean it's a possibility, isn't it? Would people still want to continue on the human race knowing that their kids are going to live through such terrible atrocity? Well, I think some people would, but they're not the people you want to have kids. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's go back to our philosopher a little yeah. bit here. Here's a little synopsis. Leibniz tries to explain why the universe is made of one substance. Oh, boy. Yet we proceed. <laughs> That's a, I mean, I just trying to tell people that is it's a long road you've picked for yourself. Yeah. <laughs> he's probably not the most popular guy at a social gathering. No. Oh, God, he's going to talk about the substance thing again. There we go. Oh, man, I got stuck on the couch with Leibniz. <laughs> Damn, Leibniz. No, listen to me. No, hold on. The it's universe one... is made as one okay. substance. I can explain. No, I know you can <laughs> He was a he was a German man. He lived from July first, sixteen forty six, to November fourteenth, seventeen sixteen. He was a mathematician and a philosopher. See, okay, so right there, like, so if that's what you are, then you're a rich guy, right? Mm-hmm. Like, there's no one who's like in that time who's doing that for a living. You know what I mean? If you're if you're a mathematician and a philosopher back then. I mean, there's not a uh, there, there's not a lot of universities paying people to 
So you're it's just a, good point, you're just a yeah. rich kid, right? I think that's the case of most of the people that I discuss on the show. I, I think it's it's really a luxury to be able... Like yeah. What we have is a luxury to have yes. all this time to think about life. Totally. So, I mean, if but you're... they didn't have commercials that they could act in to, no. to pay the bills. <laughs> <laughs> But I mean, if you're if you're uh, banging against a piece of steel all day, yeah, maybe you're thinking about stuff. That's true too. But uh, I mean, this is a real being a comedian is a real luxury. Just having yeah. so much time to go to therapy and reflect and mm. think about these little things. It's uh, you have to be pre- sitting pretty comfortable to start thinking about what the world is made up of instead of just getting on with it and hoping you're not fired and putting yeah. some food on the table. And, totally. But um. He, uh, Leibniz, he, Leibniz occupies a prominent place in the history of mathematics and the history of philosophy. He developed calculus independently of Isaac Newton, hmm. and Leibniz's mathematical notation has been widely used ever since it was published. It was only in the 20th century that his law of continuity... Did you know what that is? The law of continuity? I don't know what it is, but... It was only in the 20th century that his law of continuity and transcendental law of homogeneity. I'll look those up. You don't know what that is off the top of your head. All right, let's take a look. (laughs) I have no idea what either of those are. The law of continuity. They sound related. The law of continuity is a heuristic principle. Is that a word? It is now. (laughs) Heuristic principle. Introduced by Leibniz based on earlier work by Nicholas of Cusa and Johannes Kepler. It's the principle that whatever succeeds for the finite also succeeds or for the infinite. Okay. So I think they're saying whatever succeeds in a by finite, they probably mean like a short period of time mm-hmm. or, you know, something that ends would also succeed if it kept going. Is that true in your experience? I don't know. I mean, I've had some really short runs of success. (laughs) (laughs) But I would say that any success you have doesn't go away. Hmm. It builds. If you keep going, if you keep working at it, it, your, your body of work, you've learned from that, whatever is successful. And so it can, it does continue and leads to other things. That's a much healthier outlook than mine, which was... <laughs> I just saw a big, vast sea of failure with little islands of success floating around it. <laughs> well, no, I def- I'm a definite believer. And if you, if you keep going at it and you have had things that have, you know, gone well, mm-hmm. and by well, I mean, you know, some people... Let's take examples of like a comedian who will get like a TV deal after having a five minute set. That to me isn't it going well as much as just luck mm-hmm. as compared to like you built a podcast earlier that was successful. So you know how to do that. That's you know true. how to succeed. So you take all that experience and you put it into this and then it builds. Makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Oh, that's a good way of explaining it. That's that damn clarity that you have. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the transcendental law of homogeneity. It is a, again, that word, heuristic principle. Enunciated? Oh, boy. <laughs> I'm just going to say bye. We're already lost. <laughs> principle by Gottfried Willem Leibniz. 
most clearly in a 1710 text entitled Symbolismus Memorabilis Calculi oh boy. Algebraci mm. et Infinitesalamalis <laughs> It just keeps going like that. I don't know. But basically, it is the principle to the effect that the sum involving infinitesimalis or different orders, only the lowest order term must be retained. What? Infinitesimals. Infinitesimal have been used to express the idea of an object so small that there is no way to see them or measure them. Okay. Okay. I'm totally lost here. That I, that I, you know, there's no way to see an electron or a proton. What about through a microscope? Uh, I don't think you can see electrons or protons through microscopes. So we just know that you might there? be able to see them. I mean, they know they exist, so they have seen them somehow, but it certainly wouldn't be with a microscope. And I think he, at that time, is probably talking about the naked eye, right? I guess so. So somebody named Hank J. M. Boss describes the transcendental law of homogeneity as the principle to the effect that in a sum involving infinitesimals of different orders, only the lowest order term must be retained and the remainder discarded. Thus, if A is finite, and dx is infinitesimal, then one sets a plus. I don't know. Then it goes into math. Yeah, this is physics. Yeah, this is this is way beyond my comprehension. Yeah, he's a smarty pants. <laughs> let's let's go back to the stuff that makes some <laughs> some some sense to me. I mean, you when you get into dx, just forget about it. I can handle the a stuff. So. <laughs> DX is just... I'm out. Forget it. (laughs) (laughs) So going back, it was was only in the 20th century that his law of continuity and transcendental law of homogeneity found mathematical implementation. By means of non-standard analysis, he became one of the most prolific inventors in the field of mechanical calculators. Cool. Really? While working on adding automatic multiplication and division to pascal's calculator he was the first to describe a pinwheel calculator in 1685 and invented the leibniz wheel used in the arithmometer (laughs) i don't know the first mass-produced mechanical calculator so that's a pretty cool thing he had the first Mass-produced mechanical mechanical calculators. That's it. So that is pretty impressive for yeah. that time, right? Yeah, or for any time. I yeah. wouldn't have made a calculator. So it I sounds like it's a, it's a wheel of some kind, but it's still it's. Yeah, the the pinwheel calculator. I guess it was inspired by the pinwheel calculator. I love the pinwheel calculator. <laughs> it sounds like a lot more fun than the ones you got <laughs> in school. Like you just spin it and you're like, ah, yeah. oh, seven, <laughs> one, it's eight. <laughs> In philosophy, Leibniz is most noted for his optimism. Um, an example of his conclusion that our universe is, in a restricted sense, the best possible one that God could have created. Oh. 
Leibniz, along with René Descartes and Baruch Spinoza, was one of the three great 17th century advocates of rationalism. The work of Leibniz anticipated modern logic and analytic philosophy, but his philosophy also looks back to the scholastic tradition, in which his conclusions are produced by applying reason to the first principles or prior definitions rather than to the empirical evidence. So he was... uh he was happy. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I got out of it. <laughs> so, back to our synopsis. Leibniz tries to explain the universe is made of one substance, yet we perceive many moving parts in it. To this, he introduces the concept of the monad. The monad? The monad. I mean... I'm super into the monad. <laughs> Who's not into the monad, man? <laughs> you got to be crazy not to be into the monad. A monad is the perceived basic substance of being that cannot be divided into parts, like idea atoms. Uh, wait. I don't, I don't believe in idea atoms. Do you know about idea atoms? No. <laughs> That's <laughs> why you don't the, believe in them? <laughs> but it just sounds uh, kind of made up. <laughs> <laughs> what is that it's an idea adam it's part of a bigger idea it's but you can't a, you can't see it mm-hmm. that's also what he's saying is can't see any ideas tiny, tiny things you can't see right it's just a piece of the light bulb that appears above your head right yeah what makes a mona different from a real atom is that it is a unit of perception based on context whatever the basic unit of measurement is in our thought experiment is that is a monad for example when we talk about chemistry the monads are particles such as electrons like you were talking about see hello because that is the smallest measurement that lets us solve the problem when we talk about free will the monads are people because he has established a unit of measurement, he can now explain why the universe is infinitely complicated. That was infinitely complicated. Yeah, I feel like he didn't explain anything. <laughs> <laughs> of course, we're not looking at the explanation. We're just, we're just hearing about it. But so he's saying because there's something tiny that's, I, that you can't see, that that explains why stuff is uh, complicated? I guess just because he can measure something. I guess without measurement, he can't explain. Okay. I don't know. I'm, that's what I'm guessing. Because he has established a unit of measurement, he can now explain why the universe is infinitely complicated, yet reducible to the same stuff. The monads all act together, yet they are all distinct. Hmm. That is... That's a dude who... Uh is I think taking a lot of mushrooms and <laughs> and spending a lot of time alone. <laughs> oh yeah, that that's going back to our German beer garden where everybody's having a good time. Yeah, and then he comes in. <laughs> oh fuck, it's okay. Leibniz again. So I've been thinking about this. Monads. Remember I was telling you about the stuff that's really small? Okay, I think that they're all different, but they work together <laughs> to make everything weird. <laughs> Just the name Mona came up with yeah, something sounds, called the Monad. It sounds very Scientology. 
He walks in and then you go, uh, hey, uh, Gottfried, uh, this is Danny. Um, I, I was just, uh, why don't you tell him about the monads? I'm going to go get a drink. <laughs> <laughs> and that way, that guy's tied up for the whole night. <laughs> and right. You can go get the girl. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Let's <laughs> bring up monads. <laughs> That's a strategy right there. <laughs> it is a strategy. That guy, better looking guy in the room, he's like, oh man, he's going to get her. Hold on, let me introduce him to Leibniz real quick. Because <laughs> Leibniz is never getting laid. Yeah. That's, I'm sure that hasn't gotten too many girls excited. No. Mo- Tell me about the monads again. <laughs> well, it's a small, you can't see them. <laughs> yeah. They're tiny. It's tiny. Invisible. You can't see. They sound like imaginary friends. But everything comes from them, and they make <laughs> things very, very weird. So um, I have a paragraph of his work. Oh. I'm going to ask you to read it, and then we'll try and make something of it. We'll see if we can we can decipher something okay. out of that. It's it's right here, and then uh, it ends right there. Moreover, it must be confessed that perception and that which depends upon it are inexplicable on mechanical grounds okay that is to say by means of figures and motions and supposing there were a machine so constructed as to think feel and have perception it might be conceived as increasing in size while keeping the same proportions so that one might go into it as into a mill that being so we should on examining its interior find only parts which work one upon another and never anything by which to explain a perception thus it is a simple substance and not in a compound or in a machine that perception must be sought for the mill is what's throwing me off yeah the the it, it might be conceived as increased in size while keeping the same proportions so he's saying as big as it gets it stays the same right right what can you think of anything like that? Well, I guess uh, what perception? It's it's such an abstract right. thing, right? Yeah, it almost sounds like he's talking about um, what am I? What's the it? What what's the what's the thing I'm thinking of? The um, internet? No, not the internet. <laughs> yeah, the internet. <laughs> but it's um, uh, artificial intelligence mm-hmm. in a way. You know what I mean? But he's not. He loses me with the whole perception thing because he's not talking about he's talking about like feelings and stuff that isn't tangible and right. trying to make it tangible. And to me, it doesn't. I guess that's what the monads are. It's just trying to break down into a measurement, something that is invisible and unmeasurable. Like feelings. Right. Like, how sad are you? How many monads? <laughs> is he saying that, you know, so anger can get huge so you can have a lot of anger it can turn to rage but it's still the same sort of thing maybe i mean it's definitely an interesting thought whether it's what he meant or not let's let's think about that if there were measurements of anger let's say we we let's say we use the monad as a measurement of anger Mm -hmm. and you saw somebody who's furious and somebody who's just angry but maybe the guy who's angrier is holding it all inside Mm-hmm. And the more furious guy, he's he's angrier, but he's holding the anger in. Right. The other guy seems angrier because he's letting the anger out. There's still a higher measurement of anger in the other person. Right. And yet it doesn't seem as big or as large as the person screaming. Right. 
This yeah. might have nothing to do with might what he's talking about, but it's an inch. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it's an, an interesting thing to break it into increments, like just to be like, how happy are you? I never think about that, you know, like right. oh, if if you're happy, oh, are you happy? Yeah, I'm happy. Well, right. how, what's what how? what measurement of happiness are you like? Right. Well, you can't. I don't know. I guess. I guess there is a. You are happier at times than other times, right? Right, but there's no measure for it. Wouldn't it be interesting and, if you can? And he's saying that all happiness comes from the same place, which I assume is inside you. He was an optimist. He was an optimist, so he's saying he's saying that this all comes from the same place. It I goes think back so. to the finite and infinite thing, mm-hmm. you know. So, like uh, your little yeah. bit of anger is also is the same thing as a lot of anger. Essentially, like if you gave anger a physical form, mm-hmm. like a tic tac, right? Right. So it's that size and it's anger, but then you get really angry. It's just a bigger tic tac, and then you could break it up into pieces, uh, you know, with a pill chopper, and then, <laughs> <laughs> then you can snort it. And now you're having a party. <laughs> now you're turning anger into into happiness. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, we have uh, some quotes. You want to uh, do the honor? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, indeed, every monad must be different from every other, for there are never in nature two things which are precisely alike and in which it is not possible to find some difference which is internal or based on some intrinsic quality. So if you if you go that back to anger, everyone's anger is different because it's all based on something different, mm-hmm. right? So everybody's anger is a snowflake. But if every... Yeah, so... The- <laughs> These are like little anger. I love that anger snowflakes, and every little anger snowflake within a person's anger would be different as yeah, well. Yeah, because it was all created by something different. Hmm. And the same thing would go with happiness and everything else. It's really right? interesting to think in these abstract terms for emotion. I don't yeah. know if he was talking about emotion, but I. Well, he does bring up feelings and perceptions, and perception would be the same thing, right? Your perception right. of something would come within you mm-hmm. because how you had been brought up. And other people's perception would be completely different. It's a every, you know, you look at a pen, you're looking at every experience you've ever had with a pen, every thought you've ever had with a pen. Somebody was stabbed with a pen in the neck when he was a kid is never going to see a pen the way you see a pen. That's right. My, my dad was a lawyer and he defended a guy who killed a, uh, a cab driver with a pen. Really? Yeah. So, so I, I, when I look at pens, I, I have that in my brain. Wow. Which is different than you, which might be like, you know, you. My you dad drew. killed a guy with a pen. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I maintain that substances, whether material or immaterial, cannot be conceived in their bare essence without any activity. Activity being of the essence of the substance in general. Well, that that sentence ate itself. What do you mean? <laughs> well, it starts. I maintain that also that substances, whether material or immaterial, cannot be conceived in their bare essence without any activity. I don't even know. The first part makes sense. The substances, whether they're material or immaterial, I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. Cannot be conceived, cannot be thought about in their bare essence without, without any, any activity. So there has to be something to them for them to be... Like this pen stabbing in the yes, neck. There has to be something to them to be conceived of and thought about. And or somebody who's never seen a pen write wouldn't know right. 
you know, would would just see a piece of plastic that comes to a point. Yeah. It wouldn't be a pen. It would be a thing. So the activity is what it's used for that creates, whether it's something physical or not physical. Activity being of the essence of substance in general. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. We got that one. We got that one down? With the pen. Um, I do not conceive of any reality at all as without genuine unity. What do you make of that? I don't know what I make of that. Genuine unity. I mean, is he saying that nothing can be in a vacuum, essentially? What is genuine unity? Togetherness? That's what I think. Like, everything is related, right? So, anything in reality exists only as part of a greater yeah, as, as thing. Yeah, as part of everything else. Nothing is just alone. Like, the pen isn't a pen. It's not it's like just, a paradigm of if, some... If, yeah. if the pen is just the only thing here, right? then it's not a pen. It right? can't be just like the universe plus the pen. Right. It, the, the pen would be part of the universe, right. or, or it would be... It wouldn't be a pen if there was nothing else here. It would right. just be a thing. Because it would. what's a pen? A pen has to have other things. Just like anger, I guess, without things to be angry at, mm-hmm. isn't anger, is it? I guess not. So everything has to be part of a greater something. Right. He goes, I do not conceive of any reality. He's, he's saying it's him. Yes. But maybe someone else does. I do yes, not conceive. he does not. Yeah, he put that in on purpose, right? Yeah. I also like the way he set up the last quote. I maintain yeah. that substances. Like, people have been really pushing. Yeah, no, seriously. Um, <laughs> I've had it at this point, and I'm really okay. Here's the deal. He, he almost put here's the deal. Yeah. <laughs> or enough already. <laughs> this is all really interesting stuff that I don't quite understand, and... The fact yeah. that he knows so much about physics makes me think there's a lot to it. Yeah, know? I'm sure there is. You know, once you get into physics, it gets really complicated. Have you done much in physics? Or <clears throat> I, I, took a, <clears throat> I took a year uh, and a quarter of physics in, uh, in college. So mm-hmm. that was the hardest. That was the hardest stuff for sure. I don't think I ever even took physics. I think I had an option to take would, chemistry instead, and I, and I opted against physics. Yeah, chemistry is a little bit easier. I also took a year of chemistry. Although maybe I did take physics. I don't even remember now. If I did, I blocked it out. I feel like you should remember. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, um, he's got big hair, big black hair. Yeah. That's a wig. We're looking at the picture of Gottfried Wilhelm Leibniz. He was cool enough for somebody to do a portrait of him. Well, maybe you just paid for it. Who knows? Imagine, imagine how hard it was to get him to just sit there and shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Let's take a look at his, uh, at his early life. Maybe that'll give us something. Mm. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing, huh? It just uh, says, like, what? He was raised in blah 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 On Sunday, the 21st of June. What does it mean, NS, 1st of July? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. 1646. My son, Gottfried Wilhelm, is born into the world a quarter after six in the evening. Wow. Wow. They they really kept... Um, Somebody was super into numbers in this family. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So dad was autistic. (laughs) In Aquarius. 
His father died when Leibniz was six years old. Oh. oh, boy. And from that point on, he was raised by his mother. It's starting to sound like Billy Crystal again. Yeah, yeah. Except less funny. <laughs> he decided to become a philosopher. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah. Back then, it wasn't stand-up comic. Her teachings influenced Leibniz's philosophical thoughts in his later life. Leibniz's father had been a professor of moral philosophy at the University of Leipzig. Well, there you go. Leipzig. Leibniz? Leipzig? So he, was, so he was a professor. Yeah. So it ran in the family. And the boy inherited his father's personal library. Oh. That'll, well, that's interesting. Get to know your dad through his books. I'm sure this was his connection to his father. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I wonder if he would have still been a philosopher if his father would have lived. He might have said, oh, might have rebelled, that right? philosophy shit. I don't want to hear this shit anymore. Yeah. I'm going to play soccer. It's like Sean Lennon being a musician to try and connect with his dad. Yeah. Same age around, too. A year difference. He was given free access to it from the age of seven. Before that, he had to pay. I know. So one year, he was like, <laughs> can I look at the books? They're like, yeah, if you pay. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be 18 francs. <laughs> but I'm six. While Leibniz's schoolwork focused on a small canon of authorities, his father's library enabled him to study a wide variety of advanced philosophical and theological works, one that he would not have otherwise been able to read until his college years. So he got a head start on everybody. Yeah. And he wanted to show off. He's the kid without a dad, mm-hmm. so he, like comedians, wanted to get in front of people and be loved mm-hmm. by the father that wasn't there. Yeah. By espousing his father's knowledge. Access to his father's library, largely written in Latin, also led to his proficiency in the Latin language, Jesus. which he achieved by the age of 12. Holy shit. He composed 300 hexameters. I don't know what a hexameter is. I've done that of Latin verse in a single morning for a special event at school at the age of 13. Show off. (laughs) Then he was beaten up in the bathroom (laughs) by Gunther. (laughs) Gunther. Gunther, no! Nine! Nine! Nine, Gunther! (laughs) Wait, can I just explain to you the monad? (laughs) Here's your monad. (laughs) Wow. He enrolled in his father's... He really is. You know, he he enrolled in his father's former university at age 15. He was trying to live his father's life. Yeah. To understand him. He completed his bachelor's degree in philosophy in December. I like when they throw in the months like that. Yeah. December in 1662. You can picture it. This cold December in Germany. There he is. He's 15 years old. He just completed a bachelor's degree. This boy prodigy. It's insane. I'm, I'm assuming no friends. Lots of no books. No friends, but a big jacket and a scarf. Yeah. It's, it, it's almost cinematic. I can yeah. see it, you know, the, the breath in front of him in the cold German air. Yeah. 1662. Monad. <laughs> Comes out as hot. <laughs> oh, it's like a particle. He defended his disputatio. Metaphysica di Principo. So he defended his thesis. Yeah, I guess so. Individui, which addressed the principle of individuation on June 9th, 1663. 
So he's a kid who lost his dad young and now is obsessed with um, of things that are individual but united. It's almost like he's a brainy Batman instead of like... Yeah, <laughs> totally. Yeah. And it's all clearly comes straight from his father's death. Yeah. I like this because it gives a whole different context. And then it goes on from there and let's see what happens later in life. He gets a job at the university, I'm sure. So I was wrong mm-hmm. about that. His first position was as a salaried secretary. Oh, that's weird. <laughs> Wasn't expecting that. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Clearly overqualified for that. <laughs> Hello, Mr. Schultzenheim's office. <laughs> Do you have a moment to hear about the unity of the universe? No? I'll just patch you oh, right through. Okay, then. You know, your phone call <laughs> is not alone. <laughs> I like this. He knew fairly little about the subject at the time. Oh, perfect. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> this pre- precocious kid can do everything but, yeah. but answer phones. But answer phones. I guess there weren't phones. Uh, no. No. So he's just... Uh, yeah, I wonder what a secretary does back then. Opens letters. Opens letters, yeah. Maybe. And, and keeps track of schedules. People may just walk into the office. Yeah. Imagine it like... Uh, Hello, I would like to make an appointment. Uh, when? Now. I'm here. So, I know fairly little about the subject. I can't do this now. I'm opening a letter. <laughs> what do you, just put me through, please. <laughs> I can't. I don't know how that. I'm not even sure you're here. Want to hear about Zamona? No one wants to hear about uh, oh, Zamona. Yo, you. Oh, I've heard about you. <laughs> Interesting stuff. A few years later, he began, he moved to Paris. He met a Dutch physicist and mathematician, Christian Huygens, mm. and realized that that of his own knowledge of mathematics and physics was patchy. Ah. Hmm. With well. his new mentor, he began a program of self-study and soon pushed him to make major contributions to both the subjects, including discovering his version of the differential and integral calculus. I guess... He was always a self-taught kid. Yeah. He was a latchkey kid. He was. He was. He didn't have too much going for him, just his dad's books. Just. His dad's books and a desire to learn. Daddy, are you in here? <laughs> What's the picture? It is a... I think this is the calculator. Oh, wow. That's pretty crazy. It was the step... Reckoner. Wow. That's like a serious piece of business for that time. You don't want to reckon with the Reckoner. It's just got like a crank. Yeah. And then all the, wow. It looks beautiful. Yeah, it's no joke. That probably costed a mint. Probably weighed the kids down when they put them in their (laughs) nips. It's a huge, bulky metal thing. (laughs) Oh. Wow. Pretty cool. Let's see how he died. Oh. In a pile of numbers. I read it quickly to, you know, yeah. sometimes you, your brain puts the words together before you read it. And I read, Leibniz died in a hangover. <laughs> 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 but no, it says uh, Leibniz died in Hanover. Oh, completely in, different. <laughs> in 1716. At the time, he was so out of favor that neither George oh. the first, I guess, or George wow. I who happened to be near Hanover at the time, 
nor any fellow courtier other than his personal secretary. See, he had to have a secretary mm-hmm. since he was yeah, a secretary. He treated him pretty good. Yeah. Well, hopefully. Otherwise, he abused him to yeah. try and, uh, you know, like we were talking about parents, yeah. you know. Yep. He, uh, so neither, nor a fellow courtier or his personal secretary attended the funeral. So maybe wow. he wasn't good to the secretary. Nobody was at the funeral there. Even though Leibniz was a life member of the Royal Society and the Berlin Academy of Sciences, neither organization saw fit to honor his passing. His grave went unmarked for more than 50 years. Leibniz was eulogized by Fontenelle before the Academia des Sciences in Paris, which had admitted him as a foreign member in 1700. His eulogy was composed at the behest of the Duchess of Orleans, a niece of the Electress Sophia. Okay, so I, what what happened? Like he did something wrong. He must have done something. He was just too much of an asshole. He, yeah, right. He, like he blew it at too many of those beer garden like clearly, cards. Clearly, yeah, things went horribly wrong. Well, let's let's see his personal life. He was never married. He complained on occasion about money. Oh, so we were wrong. Yeah. Or maybe he had money and he just complained. That's <laughs> <laughs> so much money. But the fair sum he left to his sole heir, his sister's stepson, provided that Brunswick's had, by and large, paid him well. So, no, he had money. He was just a complainer. Right. Lousy optimist. Yeah. In his diplomatic endeavors, he, at times, verged on the unscrupulous, as was all too often the case with professional diplomats of his day. Interesting. So they're saying he's a douchebag. Mm-hmm. (laughs) On several occasions, Leibniz backdated and altered personal manuscripts, actions which put him in bad light during the calculus controversy. The calculus controversy. There's a calculus controversy? All right, we got to look look at this one. Who who knew that that was going to (laughs) happen? The calculus controversy was an argument between 17th century mathematician Isaac Newton and Gottfried Leibniz. Oh, he was on the other side of Newton? Yeah. This oh, is why boy. no one came to his funeral. Yeah, no one gives a shit about him. <laughs> you don't mess with Newton. <laughs> <laughs> There's not a fig Leibniz out there, is there? <laughs> <laughs> Newton won. Yeah, he did. They argued over who had first invented the mathematical study of change known as calculus. Oh. It is a question that has been the cause of major intellectual controversy, one that began simmering in 1699 and broke out in full force in 1711. Yeah, but if that happens in 1711, he died. When did he die? He died in 1716. Oh, okay. So he, oh, so this is right before he died. Right before he died, shit hit the fan with this calculus thing. Yeah, I just read that uh, John Neal, writing in the Journal of Royal Society, and with Newton's blessing, accused Leibniz of plagiarizing Newton's calculus. He was he was a hack. He was accused of, of yeah. stealing calculus. And we are talking about a guy who did read and ingest. Mm. Mm. This is interesting. Newton claimed to have begun working on a form of calculus which he called the method of fluxations and fluence, of fluxions, the method of 
Fluxians and Fluents in 1666 at the age of 23, but did not publish it except as a minor annotation in the back of one of his publications decades later. Hmm. Hmm. What if Newton is the fraud? Right. Now I'm in on this. I'm a little late from 1711, but I'm... So how did he... How was it plagiarized if it wasn't published? Gottfried Leibniz began working on his variant of the calculus in 1674 and in 1684 published his first paper employing it, Le Hobital, published a text on Leibniz's calculus in 1696, in which he recognized that Newton's Principa of 1687 was nearly all about this calculus. Meanwhile, Newton, though he explained his geometrical form of calculus, section one of book one of the Principa of 1687, did not explain his eventual fluxional notation for the calculus in print until 1693. Uh. We have uncovered one of the great controversies of all time. In the last years of Leibniz's life, we're embittered by a long controversy Brutal. with John Keel, Newton, and others over whether or not he discovered calculus. Shit got really bad at the end. Who would have... You want to hear this? A formal investigation by the Royal Society undertaken in response to Leibniz's demand for a retraction upheld Keel's charge. Historians of mathematics writing since 1900 or so have tended to acquit Leibniz. Really? <clears throat> pointing to important differences between Leibniz and Newton's versions of calculus. This is a movie they, for nerds. So it, is a mo- it is a movie for nerds. So they, they basically, like a lot of comedians, will come up with the same joke. Mm-hmm. And if math is at a certain place, it would tend to make sense that some two people could, at the same time, advance it, right? Right. In the logical way it's supposed to go. Wow. But they just did it through different routes, and but one guy got the shaft. Imagine that in terms of comedy. A comedian who's worked so hard his whole life puts out his greatest work. Yeah. At the same time, another comedian puts out his greatest work. <laughs> and the other guy gets credited for it. And this comic goes to his death. And no one show, no other comedians yeah. show up to his funeral. Yeah. And for years and years until historians figure out, no, he was actually a good comic. And then it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Because <laughs> <laughs> wow. once you're dead, it doesn't matter. Right? Very, what a tragic life. He loses his yeah. father, then he loses his calculus claim. Brutal. Man brutal but he was living large for a little while right i guess he had a good run there but then even if his, <clears throat> he was also sounds like a dick because even if his secretary didn't go to his funeral no one went to his funeral they just basically put him in a hole right so there was but again that could be because he was a secretary and he passed down could be bad <laughs> bad secretary <laughs> treatment also uh maybe if there is a god <clears throat> god was trying to prove that maybe his optimism was a little bit too much <laughs> <laughs> and he said, "Try it. Stop trying to figure me out in increments." Here's an increment for you, man. This has been a pleasure having you here, Dave. Yeah, thanks for one. thanks for coming out. I like this. Thank you. Yeah. Well, you feel you feel like we we ready to to end it? Yeah, I feel like we learned a lot, and 
That was a nice conclusion with the death. <laughs> a horrible, bitter death. Good death ending. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I look forward to the film. All right. Well, uh, I'll start working on it. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be the only movie people... I have no idea. I, I didn't understand anything, but the ending... I get. <laughs> yeah, I get the ending. I get the ending, but... It's a little murky in the middle. I'm going to mm-hmm. have to go back and watch again. It's kind of like the movie Pie. <laughs> Monards. <laughs> Or primer. It's like Bre- primer. Break it up into monards and you'll yeah. get it. You just, just, yeah, just break the movie up into monards. <laughs> All right, everybody, that's our show. Thank you very much for tuning in. Thank you very much once again to Dave Anthony, our guest. Uh, again, my email is thecomical at yahoo.com. Send me an email, say what's up, jump on iTunes, leave a nice review, five stars. That really helps us if you jump on there and leave a nice five star review and rating. And a comment, that, I think that helps too, right? Yeah, a com- yeah, that's it. There, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a nice rating, review, comment thing, and, and uh, it, 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 it helps. <laughs> And it helps but it throws us our, up their ranks. Yeah, the, the iTunes ladder that you continue to climb and yep. fall. And, um, and, uh, and next time I talk to you guys, I'll be a week away from my wedding. So that's interesting. I'm, uh, there's a lot to do, especially when you're doing a wedding on your own, pretty much. Uh, mm-hmm. It becomes quite a bit of work. And that's, uh, is that it? Uh, ModernDayPhilosophers.net is the website. You can get season one and all the extra content with Alex Fasella by signing up. There is a button in the upper right-hand uh, corner of the website, a blue button that says Connect Pal on moderndayphilosophers.net. If you click that button, it will take you to subscribe. It's $4.99 a month. It's worth it. And Alex gives a lot of great analysis on each episode. Yeah, and it's I'm, really I'm proud of those videos, and I'm often crazy hard on myself. So if I'm proud of it, I think they're funny. So... Yeah, I think you guys might enjoy it too. So click it uh, and and subscribe. We would really appreciate that. Do it, and also Net. season one will hopefully be available for sale in the iTunes Store. Alternatively, as another way to get it, sometime in the next month or so. But in the meantime, the only way to get it is ConnectPal. So you got to go and so. and do that. And it's and then, like I said, it's worth it because you also get that yeah, extra you get ads. that extra goodies. You can't. These are not on YouTube. These are for you guys. Yeah exclusive I can say things on there because you gotta be in the club you gotta be in the club you gotta know all the secrets man here it's, know it. it's messed up you wanna know is it what we do it's it's like some some Freemason shit we can't talk about it <laughs> alright we'll see you next time everybody happy, happy 4th of July Mazel Tov America <laughs>